You're listening to the National Trust podcast. I'm James Grasby. I'm curator for the National Trust, and I'll be your guide through some of the Trust's most remarkable houses. My colleague, Alan Power, will lead you through some astonishing gardens, and Kate Martin will be taking you on a number of outdoor adventures across the country. In this episode, we're in Bovington, Dorset, to visit Clouds Hill, the rustic retreat of T.E. Lawrence, better known as Lawrence of Arabia, a man known for his role in the Arab Revolt during the First World War. Lawrence's experiences were made famous by his vivid written accounts of his experiences in the Middle East, and his story went on to inspire the Oscar-winning 1962 film, Lawrence of Arabia. The sun is coming up over Clouds Hill in Dorset. I'm in that wonderful sandy heathland just outside Wareham, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be back here. I was curator for this house, Lawrence of Arabia's tiny retreat. It's an extraordinary landscape here, punctuated by these beautiful Scots pine trees. It's rather bleak and uh, sometimes very noisy. Coming up to the front door, I'm always surprised about the very modest scale of this house and, of course, the front elevation with one door and no windows. It's really intriguing, and I can see at the door my friend, Martin Stevens. Hello, Martin. Hello, James. I'm very pleased to see you. And likewise. Lovely to to see see you. you. Uh, First of all, you must tell me, you must remind me what this is. So we're outside the the front elevation of Clouds Hill. There's one door no windows, and I can virtually reach up to the eaves. It's tiny. Lawrence, at this point in his career, he was an international celebrity. Lawrence of Arabia, the soldier who had fought in the desert against the Turks, become an international celebrity. And Lawrence wanted to get away from it all. Is that right? Absolutely. He was one of the most famous people in the country, and he hated it. So he was on the point of a nervous breakdown, really, and just wanted to escape from it all, and he decided to enlist as a private in the army with the tank regiment at Bovington. His main goal, ambition now, was to become a writer. He'd already written a first draft of his account of his part in the Arab War in the First World War called Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and he needed a place to finish it, to turn it into a book that he could sell and the camp at Bovington really wasn't the place for that. So he rented a dilapidated forester's cottage, which is now Clouds Hill. He was born in 1888, and he trained, I think, as an historian and an archaeologist. Yes. And what I'm trying to get at is how this historian-archaeologist suddenly became a great leader. Well, his history in archaeology had a lot to do with warfare. He, he, lo- ah. he was medieval history, and he studied crusader castles and tactics of medieval warfare, so he was always interested in that. He wanted to be a crusading knight. That would have been his great goal. So that was something that he was always interested in, and he just had a flair for it, as it turned out. Well, look, I can't wait to have a look inside. Will you, sh- will you show me around? Of course. <laughs> Let's go in. My goodness, I'd forgotten how low the ceilings are in this cottage. And it's really a very intimate little space. I mean, from this entrance hall, uh, uh, we can see what, what, one room opening, two rooms opening from this, and this narrow staircase going up. I'm going to go up and see what I want. As I remember it, that all this oak panelling was the site of tea chests 
that Lawrence rather liked the look of. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten how lovely this Isn't room is. Isn't it stunning? Martin, you brought me upstairs into the music room, which is such a stunning space, isn't it? All the beams are exposed. It's lined out with wood, with this oak panelling at a low level, a fireplace at one end, very handsome chrome candlesticks, and what has to be the biggest wind-up gramophone I've ever seen in my life in the corner, and a typewriter, and one or two little bits of oak furniture. But it's really very simple and spartan. Tell me about what went on in here. This was where Lawrence wrote and redrafted the Seven Pillars of Wisdom at the desk with a typewriter there. And it's where he entertained the, his friends and guests. In the evenings and at weekends, he would sit with his guests and friends and listen to music on this wonderful gramophone with the enormous horn there made of papier-mâché. And they'd sit and chat. These sort of spaces really sort of concentrate conversation and it's very intimate, really. And do I remember that Lawrence's standards of entertaining were pretty Spartan too? There wasn't <laughs> a lot of food. It was no alcohol in here, it was just tea, and they ate mostly out of tins. They would make toast on the fire and eat olive, tinned olives, baked beans. So, yes, it was a fairly Spartan existence, but it was made up for by the wealth and joy of the conversation. The gramophone is a serious bit of hi-fi, isn't it? I mean, the, <laughs> the horn, I suppose, is about 50 centimetres wide. It is massive. On a very sheer wooden stand in which there are lots of 78 records, Lawrence was clearly very interested in music. It was one of his greatest interests. He loved it, particularly Bach, Mozart and Beethoven, and what were then the modern composers like Elgar. This was the state of the art. He used only fibre needles so that they wouldn't damage the records. And the horn, which, as you say, dominates the room, it's so big for the small space of a room, but it gave a really good sound. Thank you. You handed me a copy of T. Lawrence by his friends. Gramophone records at Clouds Hill, list made by Warwick James. He was his dentist, wasn't he? Yeah. Is that right? He gave his My records to him because the dentist was so good with uh, working on his teeth. Now look at this, I mean it's a list of, my goodness, 200, 200 or so records. Mendelssohn, Schumann, Scarlatti, Palestrina, Mozart, it's all here. I mean he had very broad taste, didn't he? He did, indeed, yes. Played here on this state-of-the-art gin gramophone. My goodness, with a tin of sardines in the other hand. <laughs> a cup of tea. How lovely, thank you. What a treat to see that. I'm just crossing over the very narrow landing towards what is an absolutely irresistible room. Silver lined, a room with a silver lining. Literally, I mean, there is silver foil. How astonishing. I can see in it the reflection of Martin, another Martin. And I come in, whoa. What an extraordinary room. How do you do, Martin? I'm James Crasby. Hello, James. How are you involved at uh, Clouds Hill? I'm Martin Getting. I'm a volunteer here at Clouds Hill and tell the stories of Lawrence's life to the visitors that come here. This is an astonishing room. Tell me about it. Silver-lined guest bedroom. 
Yes, it's an odd combination of a, a guest bedroom and a pantry. The silver lining was partly to keep out the damp, but also to try and keep the room a bit cooler in the summer because of the food that he kept in here. And he kept the food in the, in the drawers and in the cupboards. Apparently he had stocks of dozens of tins of beans and tin fruit and things like that. So few luxuries... Well, Lawrence had his own idea of what his luxuries were. He actually said, give me the luxuries and I'll do without the essentials. Now, a lot of people might think they're the other way around, that they might prefer to have electricity and a kitchen range and a toilet. But as far as Lawrence was concerned, his luxuries were his books, his music, a roaring fire and a hot bath. Martin, so where should we go next? Let's go downstairs and see the book room, which was a fairly late addition to the house, and also the bathroom that's there. Wonderful, lead the way. It's a narrow old staircase, isn't it? Yes, you have to be careful coming down, hold on to the rope and also mind your head. I've minded my head. Now look, is it true that Lawrence wasn't very tall? Yeah, he was only five foot five. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are misled by Peter O'Toole, who was about nine inches taller. Yeah. But no, Lawrence was only five foot five and very slim. We've walked in through quite a low door into, I suppose, the principal room on the ground floor, which has got a, the natural light coming in through a stone mullioned window that I'm very surprised to see. And the biggest object in this room is a leather-covered couch, I suppose. This is the book room, and this couch is a sort of daybed or a divan that was for lounging on to read his books, because the principal purpose of this room is books, and the whole room is lined with bookshelves, and he had about 2,000 volumes in here. Unfortunately, we don't have any of Lawrence's original books, but we do have copies of the, some of the books that he had, because we do know there was a list made of all the books he had when he died. So we know what he had. And there was lots of English literature, there were classics, Greek and Roman classics, uh, there were books on the theory of warfare, there was quite a lot of English poetry. There was quite a diverse range of books that he had here. And these were books that he amassed all through his life that he brought here, or were they things that he acquired at the time that he was living at Clouds Hill? He was fairly casual with his books in that when he'd finished with one, he would throw it away. Apparently, he would even go round at night and post books through random letterboxes if, if he no longer needed it. And then he would acquire more books. So there was a constant change in the books that he had here. He seems to have had a very informal relationship with things. that They didn't really matter too much to him. The more important things were ideas and people. Absolutely. He didn't accumulate any possessions. The only things in this house were the books and the records, but, as I say, he, he would quite often throw them away and buy new ones, but no other possessions in the house, really, other than the furniture. Well, uh, Martin, I, I'm longing to see the next room that I can see across the hallway. Yes, the bathroom, which is quite small. What a stylish room! I mean, it's, it's quite small. There's just enough room for what looks like an enamel uh, metal bath with stainless steel fittings and rather a crisp sort of 1920s shaving mirror and a little glass shelf and a steel bowl. And a striking thing about it is this cork lining to it. But there are one or two things that you and I would probably expect a bathroom to have, and that is a, a hand basin and, of course, a lavatory. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, a lavatory. Lawrence's solution there was that he had four and a half acres of rhododendron <laughs> bushes and he had a shovel by the front door. 
In terms of a, a hand basin, for most of the time Lawrence was using the house, he was fetching water in a bucket from a spring across the road. And it was only in 1933 that he had a pipe put in under the road from the spring so that he could have this bathroom installed. Lawrence's mother uh, stayed here for quite some time. While she was here, there was actually a, a kitchen range installed in what is now the book room. Mm. And there was also an outside privy installed. But uh, once she had left, Lawrence had both of those taken out and then lined the book room with the bookshelves and converted this room into a bathroom. <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it? It's one thing moving into a new house and taking out the bathrooms to replace them, but to strip them out completely and abandon the whole idea, that's very Lorenzian, isn't it? Fabulous. How funny. I've walked 20 yards outside the front door of Clouds Hill under the canopy of a very pretty beech tree towards what has to be one of the prettiest motorcycle sheds I've ever seen with a little thatched roof and two large doors. I'm just going to go inside because I think this is where Lawrence kept his famous bruff motorbike. Hello, Martin Stephen. Hello, James. We've had a lovely tour of the house with the other Martin. You must have lots of stories about Lawrence and his motorbikes and the fun he had. He loved riding them at high speed over bumpy roads so that the motorbike would jolt around. He would go at 80 miles an hour over potholes and the motorbike, being a rust superior, would be able to handle that. But he still had to do a lot of work to control it. It was like riding a wild horse. There was a time when he was driving through Lincolnshire on a fairly straight road and he saw a, an old fighter plane and they looked at him and he decided to have a race. So he set off. The plane went into a dive from high up and got faster as it went into the dive. As it levelled out, they were about level pegging and Lawrence actually slowed down a bit just to tease them. They thought, oh, he's run out of speed now and they, they were going to win the race. He let them get a bit ahead and then opened up the throttle again and being a brush superior, going up to 100 miles an hour, he went ahead and, and beat them and they just waved a sort of typical RAF gesture of, uh, okay, fair enough. You've just turned up today to come see Lawrence Arabia's house. Yeah. And what brought you here? Uh, mainly because of a friend of ours uh, who actually didn't realise that Lawrence of Arabia was a real, real person. She thought it was just a film. So we said, look, his house is up the road. Would you like to go and visit it? So we've been up today to visit and, and have a look around. It's an incredible house and see how he lived is amazing. Uh, says a lot about him. He's a motorbike fan, same as me. I know that he used to ride extremely quick around here. And a lot of people from that time who still knew of him, their family said, oh yeah, he used to ride far too fast. But he's a motorcyclist, that's what they do. What is it about motorbikes and speed? It's the freedom. It's the freedom you get. Because obviously, Lawrence was in the RAF, and I always thought riding a motorbike is one of the closest things you can do to basically flying. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to meet you. Martin, tell me about that fateful day in 1935. Yes, it was the 13th of May, 1935, and Lawrence went down on his motorbike to the village of Bovington to post a telegram to his friend, Henry Williamson, the writer. On the way back, not far from Clouds Hill itself, 
he came across two 14-year-old boys on bicycles in the middle of the road. He swerved to avoid them and unfortunately his front wheel clipped the rear wheel of one of the boys' bikes and it sent him spinning off to the right. He went over the handlebars and hit his head on a tree at the side of the road. He was taken to hospital, he wasn't dead at that point. He lived for another six days, but then died. I'm just going to take the opportunity to walk up this little hill to have a look back down on Clouds Hill. I suppose this is where Lawrence collected his firewood because he coppiced the rhododendron, I think, in order to heat up his teapot. <laughs> it's quite a brisk climb and the wind is picking up, which is always good. Oh, I've reached the top. And I'm quite moved actually coming back. I was curator here for, I suppose, 20 years. And um, it, so it feels a little bit like coming home. It feels like a bit of a retreat for me. And I hope that when you visit, you'll feel that too. It certainly is a place that has a great sense of Lawrence. It is very Lorenzian. You get a true sense of his character, this introvert, extrovert, this thinking, ebullient, speed-loving, philosophizing soldier, on one hand sort of loving the intensity of the moment, but at the same time wanting to flee from recognition and celebrity. It's as poignant a feeling today as it was the first time I visited. It's an extraordinary place, extraordinary place. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. Join us in two weeks' time when we'll be learning more about Lawrence's famous friends who came to visit Clouds Hill. And don't forget to subscribe to the series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google. And do give us a rating and review on your chosen podcast app. You can also listen on Amazon Alexa. Just say the words, Alexa, play National Trust podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas relating to the podcast series, please do drop us a line on podcasts at nationaltrust.org.uk. I look forward to our next adventure. I do hope you'll join me. Until then, from me, James Grasby, goodbye. <laughs>